Trump presidency is over. Yep. Our four years of darkness have concluded, and now it's the beginning of the Joe Biden. Michael, the floor is yours. Please tell me your thoughts, your feelings, your hopes and dreams. Oh, you know, my hopes and dreams are a lot more limited and measured and specific than they were uh, eight years ago or whatever. God, uh, 12? No, what? I, don't, I can't do math anymore. I don't have a spreadsheet in front of me. Honey, it's only been four years. It's only been four years since Trump well, was elected president. Plus the eight of the Obama administration. So 12 years ago, Obama was inaugurated, and I, I foolishly entertained a lot more hopes, even though I was consciously aware of the fact that we had not elected a socialist um but i had a lot of hopes and um they were dashed pretty quickly um i don't remember if the democrats still controlled all that both houses of congress when obamacare got passed um or that was probably the one thing that they did while they had effective control so you know we got essentially romney care for the country um, a plan that was put together for the state of Massachusetts by the Heritage Foundation when Romney was governor. So um, Obama delivered a longtime Republican um, agenda point, and um, know a lot of people that have tried it. I've been on it. I've been unemployed a couple of times since Obamacare came in, and um, I got to tell you, when you're uh, you have to make rent every month, and um, California unemployment is what it is. And on top of that, you're supposed to pay $400 a month for health, health insurance when you are unemployed and looking for a job. It stretches the budget. So, you know, we have a really eviscerated social safety net in this country, and the Democrats are, you know, basically managing this, you know, trying to deliver a soft landing to the country while the social safety net is, you know, gradually dismantled. So, you know, we're going to allow teachers to write off the costs that they incur out of pocket when they buy school supplies for their classrooms. So the Democrats' response is, let's allow the teachers to write that off on their taxes. <laughs> so that's the, the Democratic Party that we know today as a result of Bill Clinton. Uh, you and I did an in-depth retrospective on the Clinton administration and the party's ending of the federal commitment to the poor. And... Um, you know, we, we still live with the, the, the legacy of that. So Biden, definitely a hell of a lot better than Trump would have been. And um, also, you know, a return to, you know, business as usual in Washington. Um, his chief of staff, I think, is, is or his, his chief of staff or his chief of staff's brother is a registered longtime lobbyist, very successful lobbyist. Uh, the Pichetti, Pichetta family. Um so, you know, not that Trump did anything to drain the swamp, quite the opposite, but um, I think the Democrat, I mean, AOC put it best. The Democrats are on a very short leash right now. If they don't deliver major policy gains, if they don't deliver an actual improvement in people's lived experiences, uh, they'll get clobbered in 2002 and they will not win in, 2000, um, in 2022 and they will not win in 24. Um, it's on them to deliver while they have. Um, I got to say, I was pleased to see the Democrats moving forward with the aid package on the reconciliation basis. Um, you know, obviously, they get basically one shot at that every year with the budgets. So, um, you know, to be determined. But um, we we know, 
you know, Biden is to the right of Obama. For all the people who, you know, said in 2016, any functioning adult for president, well, that's what we got. It's the Democrats to lose. But George, we have a saying on this podcast, the Democrats never lose an opportunity to lose an opportunity. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Indeed. The Democrats never lose an opportunity to lose an opportunity. They need to pass the stimulus through reconciliation before the impeachment trial. Joe Biden was given two weeks grace period, and then the House of Representatives voted to impeach the former president, Donald J. Trump. That impeachment trial next week is going to absolutely polarize the country, and I don't think Biden is going to have a legislative agenda after that. Because guess who's going to be back on TV? Well, that's assuming that Trump shows up. And see, here's the thing. We know that Trump burned a bridge with a good portion of his base. A good portion of his most committed base literally got burned when he walked away from them after the riot. So I think a lot of Republicans have gotten sour on him. The Republican Party's continued um, determined defense of the president with McConnell, you know, uh, opposing the uh, impeachment, um, you know, McCarthy and the rest of the, you know, congressional Republicans, you know, for the most part, pretty much in line with the president. Um, that I don't understand how to read that because the the president... I think is clear. His only trajectory is to uh, circle the drain into obscurity. He is clearly too old to run four years from now. None of his family have the charisma that he does. So we, um, I don't understand his continued grip on the party unless it's simply inertia and because nobody in the party wants to be that first penguin to jump off of the ice uh, into the water where there might be seals. So I understand the party fears that the party base is still a Trump base. Um, since the militia have been abandoned and since he never pulled the rabbit out of the hat, you know, the inauguration actually happened. Biden is actually president now, which seems to have surprised a lot of Trump land. Um, I've, I think that has... I think some of them are going to withdraw from politics altogether. Um, before Ronald Reagan, the evangelical constituency in this country was mostly absent from politics. And I think that some of the Trump base is going to, you know, say a pox on both of their houses and withdraw. I think some of them are going to continue to fight the, just like the Nazis or the, the Germans did after World War I. They're going to play the stab in the back card and they're going to cling to the theory of the conspiracy, the deep state. Um, not to say that there's no deep state, mind you. I, I work in local government. I absolutely understand how informal networks work. And I have no doubt that amongst our highly networked elites in this country, who all went to the same universities, um, that there's, you know, by all, I mean, anybody who hasn't seen that TV show from Britain, Yes Minister, and its sequel, Yes Prime Minister, um, highly recommend that. I think that those kinds of networks are absolutely how stuff gets done within the Beltway. I'm not saying there's no deep state, but it's not all that. So um, I think I got off track, but 
Yeah, so Trump's continued hold on the party. I I think that it will only dwindle. So my point was, will this impeachment trial really divide the country? I think a lot of people are right to be confused in that he's already gone. The Constitution sets up this one method by which you can remove a president from power. Now he's gone. I don't think people are really going to get that worked up over it. Trump's supporters, very logically, are going to feel aggrieved that not only did they steal the election, but now they're going to take away his benefits as a retired president. Um, I understand that if you were a President Trump supporter, that would seem crappy to you. Um, I, I don't think that there are going to be too many people that are going to really get invested in this. And I mean, the, the Democratic case is, as far as, I'm, as far as I can tell, just objectively speaking, it's, a, it's open and shut what happened on the day of the riots. And I mean, you had basically self-appointed death squads roaming the halls of the Capitol, which I'm sure that you, George, feel just as emotionally attached to that place as I do. And I've only visited it once as a tourist. Um, self-appointed death squads roaming the Capitol that came very close to finding Representatives Porter and Ocasio-Cortez. Um, I think that this 100% makes sense. So you've got half the country that's on board with this impeachment. And then the other side is divided because some people feel burned by the president. And, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, he's already out of power. It's not like if he were in power a year ago and if that that impeachment would have had serious consequences. This one, I, I, I'm ready to be proven wrong because I've discovered I have zero capability for predicting the future, much to my surprise. I just don't see that... I don't see this becoming a huge deal. It could be a huge deal because the most potent weapon that Donald Trump has is a camera. And if you put him on camera, you know, it's like the hundred days of Napoleon. He's back. Oh, anyway, you know how the hundred days ended. Well, yeah, well, but yeah. it was a glorious hundred days. Until Waterloo. It was a glorious 100 days until Waterloo. Um, uh, with no introduction, Michael Escobar is one of the founders of Respublica Podcast, and I brought him here uh, so he can uh, talk about, you know, the four years journey out into, into the night, out of the darkness, now that Joe Biden is president. And the um, what's coming up next week and what the Democrats hopefully will accomplish by tomorrow, Friday. February 5th is passing the first part of President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package. You know, as we head into uh, 2021, which I believe with the uh, storming of the Capitol on 1-6, January 6, 2021 is like the hold my beer moment. For 2020. Oh, you thought 2020 was bad. Oh, hey, check this out. Look, uh, enjoy the decline. So what do you expect the rollout for vaccines? Governor Gavin Newsom had a press conference in front of the Oakland Coliseum that's now going to become a super site for you. Uh, Michael lives up in San Francisco at an undisclosed location working for an undisclosed uh, government entity. So I'm sure that you have some insight on how COVID-19 has affected the San Francisco Bay Area. And now, 
our homeland here in Southern California is the epicenter of global infections for COVID-19. So, I mean, every bit of 2021 is keeping us up at night. So let's start from the beginning. How do you get to work? Well, I work in San Jose and live in San Francisco, so I'm driving. Um, This 50-mile commute broke me, so after 20 years or 18 years with no car, I finally bought a car a couple years ago. Um, It's a little red Toyota Prius C, one of those small Priuses. So the name of the car is Boris Badenov because it's small and red, and uh, it's taking very good care of me. How very appropriate. Boris, I remember when you ran that poll on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I was originally going to call it Yugoslavia because it's small and red. People told me that's much that's too much name for so small a car. Boris Badenov is perfect. So, yeah, that's my commute. I work for uh, transportation, and um, we've been hit hard. Uh, we've had uh, cases, and um, people have died. It's very sad. The um, we know that this pandemic, public health experts expected this pandemic for you know more than ten years. We got lucky with SARS and MERS and bird flu, um, but the, something like this was going to happen. Uh, it's the nature of the world today, and um, it's really unfortunate that you look back at the Obama administration if we had somehow worked the political miracle of instituting single payer healthcare. If we had just said, if you want to keep your private health insurance, go to ahead, go ahead, but you, everybody, you can sign up for Medicare tomorrow. I think we would be in a much better place. And, um, the, the countries around the world that have had the greatest success with the virus, I think, you know, like Taiwan, for example, these are countries with national healthcare. So, um, I'm, it's clear that there is not enough political will in this country to take the measures that have been necessary to stem the tide of infections. I, as a socialist, am really reluctant to ever blame victims. And um, whenever you have structural problems, I'm always very, very hesitant to look for explanations that rely on individual behavior, because that's against my instincts as a socialist. But um, Gustavo Arellano, the longtime artist, um, or the longtime columnist, um, he has the Ask a Mexican column um, in uh, the LA Weekly, or at least he used to. Um, wrote an article for the LA Times this week. Um, he lives in Santa Ana, a super majority um, Hispanic American city, and um, he's kept up late at night by his neighbors partying. So Gustavo Arellano wrote this article you know, basically attributing people's behavior, not adhering to social distancing, not adhering to mask wearing as one of the reasons why we're having this spike. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not an epidemiologist. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we needed, you know, Cuomo and Newsom, neither of them have instituted the lockdowns. I mean, it seems clear to me that whenever we have a lockdown, the cases trend downwards. And then we turn the corner, we hit these criteria, these thresholds, like, okay, we can lift the stay-at-home order again, and infections climb again. So, you know, we don't have a social safety net like they do in Western Europe. Um, 
people, you know, LA is a center of small business. LA is entrepreneurship. LA is hustlers trying to make it by any means necessary. You know, the Hispanic community that's been the one of the hardest hit by this virus is full of people that are essential workers and first responders. So, you know, people that can't afford not to go to work. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the future will hold. Um, I think that we need massive public investments in, in healthcare in this country. Um, if any if anything were, uh, you know, a, an object lesson for this country in uh, the the vast underinvestment in health infrastructure, it's this virus. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, just getting the vaccination. I got my parents both vaccinated and I ended up getting a vaccine because I have like really stellar private insurance, you know, um, but I do count myself as very fortunate that um, I was placed in a situation where I could get my parents vaccinated and I could get vaccinated and it really puts us at ease. But I'm really surprised by the lack of numbers given that the vaccine rollout has now been in effect for three weeks, how very few people are taking advantage of it, you know. And we have something in Los Angeles called vaccine chasers. And what vaccine chasers are adults that don't fit the criteria. They're not 65 years old. Uh, they're well under 65, some being, you know, mid-30s to early 40s that are in a standby line. Because once the vaccines are taken out of the freezer, they have to be used that day or else they go to waste. So they're moving from the Pomona Fairgrounds to Dodger Stadium to private healthcare facilities standing by hoping to get a vaccine. And it hasn't really reached a level of desperation. It's kind of something like an oddity. But the real menace are, you know, the anti-vaxxers. Hey, man, this is your time to shine right now. <laughs> it's time to prove everybody wrong. And the anti-vaxxers had a protest in front of Dodger Stadium. And the spectacle of it all, I think, paralyzed people for a moment. It's like, what are these people insane? Are they what is going on now? And that's why I wanted the perspective outside of Los Angeles, because I feel sometimes Los Angeles becomes a bubble and we view ourselves as the center of the world, much like New Yorkers do. And it's very healthy to get a perspective from outside Los Angeles. And that's why I reached out to you, Michael, so you can tell us about you know, San Francisco and what's happening at the street level. Are any of the stores open at the street level? Yeah. My experience is that um, people on the street, there's a very high rate of masking and there's pretty good um, respect of social distance. I had to go to Target yesterday and um, there were not a lot of people there and everybody wore a mask. And I go to the supermarket regularly, and there's well-marked spots to stand in line. So you're six feet apart from people standing in line, and everyone wears a mask. Um, I've uh, taken BART, our public transportation system, uh, now and then to go to work. And BART is, you know, it's well known that all the public transit agencies are, you know, running at 10% 
of their previous passenger levels. So they're 90% off from pre-pandemic. And so on BART, you know, you're I'm often the only person in the car, these huge cars. Um, I, I can't even tell you what's the passenger capacity. They're big, you know, it's like the DC Metro. The BART is exactly like the DC Metro. So imagine being the only person on one of those cars. And um, so there's, you know, pretty respect there's pretty good respect of distance in the park people are wearing masks even when they're riding their bikes um san francisco has done this thing which i think a lot of other cities have done where they've set aside certain streets in just about every neighborhood to be car free or um streets are theoretically closed to all except local traffic so that people can walk out in the middle of the street ride their bikes play in the street with their kids uh, it's called slow streets so um, those are pretty well distributed all over the city, and um, so there's there, you know, the thing is also that in the Bay Area there's so many tech people. It's the Bay Area is one of the centers of the world's knowledge economy. So it, there is I think a very high percentage of the working the workforce here is able to work from home. Um, my hairstylist is having a hell of a time. I know that, um, and it, you know the, everything that we predicted at the start of the pandemic. That, How bougie of you, Michael! You have a hair stylist. I do. <laughs> um, but at the beginning of the pandemic, people predicted keep the stay-at-home as long as necessary. The worst thing would be to lift it early, and then have to go back into lockdown again. Um, and that is exactly what we've done. This double dip lockdown. I don't even know if it's could be triple dip by now. I can't remember to be honest. But well, it, all was a, costs... it, was, it was a double dip lockdown because we lifted the lockdown in California around Memorial Day. And that's when we saw, started seeing the spike in the summer. Then we went back to partial stay at home, but not a lockdown. And then we had the Labor Day spike. And it's like anytime people gather between two or more households, that's when you can have the infection. Yeah. And then the holiday spike. I mean, yep. the, the holiday spike was surreal. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And that's why Pasadena didn't have a Rose Parade. And we're probably not going to have a Rose Parade next year. Disclaimer, I don't know that for sure. But just given the rate of vaccinations, uh, the probability is very high that we're probably not going to have a mass event like the Rose Parade or big college uh, bowl games anytime soon. Go on, Michael. Sorry. No, uh, I think you're right. What's it like in Oakland? Do you have any friends in Oakland? I do. Um, I think the the whole Bay Area is pretty much in the same boat. Um, the um, I think we're going to see rising misery as you know the tr one of Trump's parting gifts was to screw up the unemployment benefits so that people dropped off the rolls and now they have to go through the waiting period again. Um, so you know there's there's so much tech here. And there's still a, a, it's a it's a big metro area. It's not the size of Southern California, but it's still a big metro area. There's still plenty of working class and, you know, um, industrial jobs here. So, um, people that needed that government support, the temporary income, um, have you know had to do without. So, um, it's you know it's not pretty, and that goes for you know San Francisco and the rest of the Bay as well. Have there been any um, 
things unique to San Francisco that you've seen in terms of coping with uh, the virus? Like DoorDash has really exploded down here in Los Angeles. And uh, I don't see as many Uber Eats, but I do see a lot of DoorDash and Grubhub as well. What's been the most popular food delivery service for you up in San Francisco? I have no idea. I I am trying to lo- patronize my local businesses. So where I live in the inner sunset of San Francisco, uh, really close to Golden Gate Park on the eastern side of Golden Gate Park, um, I live in one of the little jewels of San Francisco. It's you know well kept secret. You know, it's a locals neighborhood. You don't get so many tourists, but you have a just a um, a, a ton of great restaurants. And so I'm supporting them. I don't cook a lot by myself. You know, I'm only buying groceries for myself. For one person, you don't save a lot of money versus, you know, eating out. So I'm supporting my local places that are within like a three block radius of my apartment because in the city, you know, it's it's an old city. It's a dense city. All the buildings are up against each other. You don't have separated detached houses. And so with this kind of density, within a three block, three block radius, you can get all the different cuisines and... Um, so I'm not ordering delivery for the most part. But that's one of the main reasons and one of the main features you live in San Francisco, even though you commute all the way to San Jose, because damn it, you know, you'd have to give away a vital bodily organ to find a place like this again. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a city boy and this is the life that I want. Like for you, Southern Californians, it would be like living at Vermont and Franklin in Hollywood, or if I were living in Old Town Pasadena, if I was living upstairs from Lucky Baldwin's, that would be sort of the comparable lifestyle experience for me. That's the retirement plan, Michael. That's the (laughs) retirement plan. That's, That's what success looks like. At the end, when you get your pension, you know, you can just get the apartments. They do have apartments above Lucky Baldwin's. Yeah. And, uh, my first act of the liberation after uh, you know COVID is defeated is I'm going to go liberate Lucky Baldwin's. And Do that. I'm going to invite the, all my friends. Then come up here. You can stay on my couch. We'll go to the Irish Bank. Oh hell no! I'm not staying on couches no more. No 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 no. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a hotel. I'm getting I'm going to go to the Continental Hotel. Very good. Yeah, we're getting hotel rooms, and we're going first class now. All right. Good, good because for you. Because the Trump economy was very good to me. all right all right so yeah make america great again two hotel suites at a time that's right um do you have a parting shot for the broadcast (sighs) um i am hopeful that the stimulus package gets passed without too many cuts um i think we need to go the whole hog and after that, we need to have a massive in- infrastructure package. Um, the Democrats are using their shot with reconciliation for this for the um, emergency aid rescue package, by all means. Um, they won't be able to use reconciliation to get the infrastructure package passed. So all those construction unions and all those construction companies need to lean on their Republican representatives to get the infrastructure package passed. We got a lot of dams and aqueducts and water treatment plants and highways and bridges you know part of highway one and big sur got washed out with the last rainstorm um you know california the the nation at large um there's an organization i think it's called the american society of civil engineers publishes 
a uh, report card every year on the state of America's infrastructure. And the United States has been at about a D minus for the last several years because we built a lot of stuff after World War II. Most of that stuff needs to be replaced now. And um, the consequences are stuff like the bridge collapse in Minneapolis a few years ago and Highway 1 getting washed out in Big Sur now. Um, we need to invest in that's how you really make America great again. Yeah, you build it. That's how you make America great again. You build it. And immediately, my thought is upgrading all the airports because LAX is a broke down version of Space Mountain. LAX is an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. You got so much, so much air traffic that's oversaturated cu coming over the 405 every day. Um, you remember that air crash in the show Breaking Bad? God forbid. I, I hope to God that doesn't happen right where the 405 meets the 10 um, or the 110. It, you know, we, we absolutely need to uh, upgrade all of our transportation infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, what I look forward to is pass the stimulus on Friday. Everyone goes home on the weekend. On Monday, you start the impeachment trial. And then the impeachment trial becomes a non-starter because you need 60 votes to convict. The Republicans all stand unified. They say, well, we're not going to vote for this. This is political theater. You know, we're, you want us to convict before there's even a trial. And let the uh, Democratic House handlers present their case. You know, let the president or the former president take the fifth. Like the uh, Italian mob boss, you know, that he pretends to be on TV. And then it's all over. And then it's like, great, now what do we do? Oh, we need to pass uh, an uh, infrastructure bill. And we suddenly need these Republicans on our side. And that is going to be the great test of Joe Biden in the coming months into March. So, as we say... And if, if you're a classicist, beware the Ides of March. I want to see Joe Biden give a press conference at the Highway 1 uh, washout or um, that I think it's Minneapolis had that, you know, that inner city bridge collapse during rush hour or somewhere like it is it is really um, it's it's such a vital need. So that's what I'm hopeful for. And um, what about you, George? I just want them to pass the stimulus because I am coming to the opinion that normal people, because they've heard the story of GameStop stock, GME to the moon, how these uh, amateur traders on Reddit organized to buy a stock and undermine these hedge funds. Um, they they hurt one hedge fund. No, they undermine they all hedge funds. Dramatically enriched several others at yes. the same time. Any hedge fund that was long on GameStop yeah. has made out like a bandit, and probably sold when the stock was at three hundred dollars. No, it was at it was at four twelve, and then it was Whatever. at three seventy one, and um, and now it's at fifty. But the reality of it all is, it's, it's taught people that the game is rigged, and the game's always been rigged. Game's always been rigged. The game has always been rigged, but now it is it is widely accepted. The king has no clothes. You know, there's this great uh, movie with uh, Sean Connery called "The Man Who Would Be King." These two British soldiers, because they're very good at using rifles, you know, basically conquer what is modern day, you know, Hilmand Province in Afghanistan. And at the end, Sean Connery's undone because. Uh, a woman cuts him, cuts his ear off, 
if he's a god, why why should he bleed? You know, and um, the 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 regular economy is detached from Wall Street, and people are starting to see that, and it will create a big division or a great cleavage in the country. Where finally, with now that we are in our 40s, we've come to the realization that people have a class consciousness. And we have a class consciousness with an armed citizenry, which is very, very frightening. I think the Capitol riot on 1-6 was a preview of things to come. That if they don't pass the stimulus and they don't pass the Reconstruction Bill, not only will the Democrats lose the House, but there's going to be a large bloodletting. There's there's going to be violence in the streets, and it's not going to be left of center, you know, Black Lives Matter violence. There's actually going to be, you know, because people have lost their businesses, and they've lost their homes that they've collateralized, you know, to open up their businesses. And so the majority of state legislatures are held by Republicans. The majority of governorships are held by Republicans. So, you know, if the Democrats fail to deliver meaningful change and they lose the House and Senate in 2022, a perfectly plausible scenario. What is this? How does... I realize these kinds of things are inherently unpredictable, but I don't see the mechanism that would cause this massive bloodletting. It's going to happen in New York and California. It's not going to happen in the Midwest. It's going to happen in New York, and it's going to happen in California. Once you lose a House in California, how are you ever in your lifetime able to recuperate that? So a business in California, you know, it's a great place to start a business, but it's a terrible place to lose a business because the, the entry fee is so high. So the, the growing immiseration of the middle class in California and New York would plunge those dispossessed people into the arms of QAnon and see, I just, no, no, I feel that there's going to be something worse than QAnon. I mean, I think those the members that consider themselves literate and intelligent are going to look at the fiasco at the Capitol and say, what did we do wrong? Or were there some, were we acting on inaccurate information? So this is the information we have. There have been so many small businesses, their proprietorship meaning they're no longer viable. And small business owners that have gotten bankrupt, who's responsible for this? Let's get them. That could be it. That could be, you know, like any agrarian revolution always started with an aggrieved peasantry that felt that they no longer had a proprietorship, that they no longer had the means to... uh, provide for their family i i, I see and that, that it's possible. and that brought us the french revolution and that brought us the russian revolution and in large part that brought us uh you know shay's rebellion right after you know the war of independence so you know in our history we haven't really had an agrarian rebellion but we had we came close to it with shay's rebellion so I invite all your listeners to go google search shay's rebellion you know and um i want to thank you michael for taking the time especially after work. I know you've had a long day. Uh, This is the Republica podcast, and we will talk to you guys again soon. Thank you so much.